Welcome to Season 2 of Ufahamu Africa, a podcast on life and politics on the African continent. My name is Kim Dion, and I'm your host. This week's episode features a conversation with Kajetani Heka, an assistant professor of English at the University of Alabama. Iheka's research and teaching focus on African and Caribbean literatures and film, post-colonial studies, eco-criticism, and world literature. In today's episode, we talk about his book, Naturalizing Africa, Ecological Violence, Agency, and Post-Colonial Resistance in African Literature. His book examines the representations of the environment in African literature and the implications of these depictions for questions of resistance and agency. I spoke with Professor Iheka at the recent annual meeting of the African Studies Association in Chicago in November. Thank you for being a guest on Ufahamu Africa this week. Thank you for having me. Now, I'm really excited that we get to talk about your new book. In advance of the book's publication, reviewers have called it essential and important, describing it as innovative and eloquent. So in Naturalizing Africa, you analyze how African literary texts Mm -hmm. have engaged with pressing ecological problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did you come to be interested in studying literature on environmental degradation? Yeah, okay. So, you know, there are two... So I started as an undergrad. I did my undergraduate in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And during my undergrad, in my, I think in my junior year, I took a class on, on literature and the environment. And I was particularly fascinated with the class because we were reading works on the Niger Delta. And during this period, the Niger Delta militancy and all that were really um, in the front burner and the news and all. But what was particularly interesting was that I, I saw an opportunity to bring together my interest in literature, literature history, and politics together. Mm. I thought that environmental literature helped us to move beyond the text, to think about the world. Mm-hmm. So, so the text, so I saw um, environmental writing, especially from Africa, the Niger Delta especially, as doing that kind of work. Then I came to the U.S. in 2009 for graduate school. A few months later, the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico happened. A few right, the months, BP oil yeah, spill. Yeah, the BP oil spill, yes. Yeah. And, everybody, and everybody was going crazy about the BP oil spill, which, yeah. you know, is a disaster. It's unfortunate. It's a tragedy. But it was amazing to me how, how hell was, everybody was letting hell loose here. While where I was coming from, you know, this is a regular, it's a daily occurrence, and that oil spills into these communities in the Delta contaminating the fish, the water, and everything. But then, it wasn't, there wasn't really much attention. It's become part of, you know, everyday, the, life. everyday life. Yeah. So that's imbalance, really, you know, got me thinking more about, you know, the environment. And as I was starting to think about the topic for a master's thesis, I realized that there wasn't really much on environmental literature. Mm. We've talked about the nation in African literary criticism. We've talked about you know, feminism and other kind of similar political questions. Yeah. But the environment hasn't really gotten that kind of attention. I'm yeah. like, okay, I think this is a project waiting for me. Yeah. So that's, that's really how that happened. Now, what would you say are the main takeaways that you hope <clears throat> readers will get after having read your book? Okay. Um, so I think I think you know I think of my readers as I think of different kind of readers for naturalizing Africa. Mm-hmm. I think of the literary scholar who can begin to rethink some of these texts we've been reading in particular ways um, as not addressing environmental problems. The way that they can actually we can actually come back to them the way I've done in the book to reread them 
with a lens to the you know underpinning environmental issues we can excavate from that yeah. so that's very very important um, and also how we can read African literature with, with attentiveness to the ways that the human and non-human are interacting in African environment mm. and this is really at the heart because many cultural practices in Africa whether it's the Yoruba cultural practices or the Igbo ones that I know so much in Nigeria there's always that interrelationship between us as human beings and the environment around us. The animal, for example, is sacred because of certain cultural practices. So I wanted to think about the ways that writers were dealing with that. So I think the literary scholar would, you know, find my attentiveness to ecological entanglement, you know, mm. as something, you know, that is different in the field and an offering, you know, that I'm making in this book. But for the general scholar of Africa, though, they um, coming to this from a very interdisciplinary approach. I remember t- a few years ago, I was stuck on a panel on the environment at, at ASA, and it was political, it was political scientists, geographers, and people basically in the social sciences doing work on the environment, which is mm-hmm. fine. But what you know, so the one of the question I'm addressing, and I hope the general reader interested in Africa would get from my book is the role of the humanities what humanities can contribute for us to understanding um, ecological degradation on the continent. But also um, the ways that these writers are actually participating in constructing alternative futures uh, for Africa. So I think the, the general Africanists should be able to, you know, should be should be able to take that away. And you know, get you know, also find relevance the books I'm in because um, many of the texts I'm looking at too are common, you know, books in African literature um, that people use in different classes outside literature so I hope you know people will find that useful as well Right. I mean, I can imagine, for example, someone who might be teaching, you know, about Wangari Matai in a political Ex- science exact, class. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and maybe perhaps assigning one of her writings mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to then couple it with, with something with from your book, yes, right? And yes, then, and yes. then to, to take a different perspective mm-hmm, mm-hmm, on her writing right, through, right. through the lens that you offer. Yeah. So let's actually talk about some of those writers. Mm-hmm. Can you say more about the text that you've included okay, okay. in your analysis and why you selected those writers to okay, focus on? Okay. Okay, good. So two things drove this book as I was trying to select material. One is the extent to which these writers are engaging with directly and indirectly environmental issues, Mm -hmm. but also how we can actually find interactions between humans and other forms of life in the literature. So those are the two things that drove the research. And since you mentioned Mangari Mangari Mata, you know, Mm -hmm. I can start with that. She's one of the authors that I wrote about in my final chapter. And I'm looking at her politics in Kenya, the way that, you know, her meditation that she was trying to find solutions to the problem. And she said, huh, I'm going to plant trees, you know, that trees will help check deforestation, but also empower the women. Mm. So, you know, so this intersectional approach mm. is really what I'm advocating for my book. Because what you find in African literature is really, okay, let's, we are focusing on nationalist questions. We're focusing on questions concerning human beings we can't we can't um we can't really afford to deal with nature and the environment right now right but this is one guy matter showing us that you can couple them you can actually address this larger political issues we're so interested in right. but also show concern for the environment so i found that book useful yeah. um for that you know for that intersectional work that he was it was doing 
Um, and what about some of the other writers that you selected to analyze in your book? Yeah, so someone like Amos Tutuola, uh, one of the earliest, you know, um, Nigerian writers writing in the 1950s. Mm. The Palm Wine Drinker, you know, fam- um, famous work, um, fam- you know, famous for his um, mythopoetic qualities. Um, some fantasy and you know different but grounded in a kind of Yoruba cosmology mm. so for me it's really you know how can we recuperate you know so I'm reading this work I'm like how can we recuperate this for an ecological politics in our time mm. so, so I found um, his work um, useful um, in that front and then moving on and I tried to do a kind of geographic I wanted to you know, we can't cover Africa really. Right. But I wanted to do it's a, a big of, place. It's a big place, yeah. yes. <laughs> so I wanted to, you know, have a taste of the different parts of the continent. So so Wangari Matai spoke to East Africa for me in some way, um, to, to allow West Africa. Um, but then I wanted to think about war in East Africa and Somalia. Mm. Um, so the work of Nuruddin Farah has written so much about the wars in Somalia mm-hmm. and you know he's doing something interesting for me which is that when we think about war and casualties in Africa we're thinking of you know the men, women and children and all those people that die of course or but maybe what, their property their property mm-hmm. but what happened to the larger what, what is the implication for the ecosystem right I think Farah does a good job of articulating that you know the shared precarity the shared loss yeah. from war so I really so I found his work useful and I devoted a chapter um, to his work um, GM could say, uh, you know, Life and Times of Michael K. as well, you know, something um, that I included in the work. And there's some Niger Delta novels too um, yeah. on Nigeria. I didn't want to do Sarawiwa because so much has been written on Ken Sarawiwa. Yeah, so I, you know. Some, An opportunity <clears throat> to highlight other works. Other works. That people may yeah. not otherwise encounter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So someone like Tanuri Ojai, they who's written The Activist, who teaches in North Carolina, you know. So these are some of the writers that I, I engaged with in the book. Great. Now, in a hypothetical world mm-hmm. where you could have written a book twice as long okay. <laughs> to cover more African writers okay. in your analysis, uh-huh. who else would you have included? Hmm. Yeah, I would have. I would have included Nadia um, Karafo, who is this um, writer. She's Niger- you know, Nigerian American, um, who is who is writing this in you know, a science fiction kind of speculative kind of work. Um, she has a novel called Lagoon, you know, which I really I found at the end, at the end of my writing, mm-hmm. I found fascinating, uh, which I couldn't really include, you know. So I would love to, if I had more space, more time, I would definitely um, love to include that work. Um, there's a more there's a, a more recent African novel too on the Niger Delta. Elena Bila, who is somewhere on the East Coast, um, teacher, I think she teaches teach somewhere to Judge Mason or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, Oil and Water, which is a fascinating novel. I'm teaching it in my graduate seminar now. I would love to include um, um, that. Um, I focus so much on prose. You know, if I had more space, if I had more time, you know, or, you know, if, um, I would want to include other genres. Mm. So, like poetry, for example, as mm. a rich body of work. Mm. Uh, even neg- Sengos negative poems, for example, you know, would yield in you know, a lot in terms of the environment. Yeah. So these are some possibilities if I could do a longer work. A longer work, yeah. right. <laughs> or potentially another book. Another book. Yeah, you know, right. we'll see. We'll see. Word, you know, you've got plenty of time to think about that. You just came out with this one, right? Right, right. There's no rush. Right. <laughs> So what was the most surprising thing you learned during the course of your research? Yeah. I think the most surprising thing is 
having this project and going back to read the works I've been reading for you know in particular ways mm-hmm. for a long time like Gabriel Okara's The Voice which is this novel set in um, in Nigeria on the, the Niger Delta and for me going back to this novel now and saying wow this can actually be read as anticipating uh, this contemporary discourses on the Niger Delta that was really fascinating mm. so you know going back to reread these works and finding a new insight mm. that pertain to my project mm-hmm. you know I hope I hope I'm correct you know yeah. I hope I wasn't imposing my my lens on it but you know but for me that was fascinating the way I'm like oh, so why didn't why how didn't I notice this you know the, uh, the yeah, first or the yeah, second or the time, third time, third time I read this novel exactly right. yep yep okay. yep so that's that's um so you know that, that you know that was that thing that's, that was the most I mean I think that's something surprising. exciting about reading though mm-hmm, right that mm-hmm. like even if there's a book that we've read before mm-hmm, that there's mm-hmm. there's something to be gained exactly. about revisiting exactly. that text right right right, um, right right not that we don't all have a long yeah. list of books that we'd like to read and and, and time but I mean, <laughs> for for books that we enjoyed reading mm-hmm, the first mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. the first time the second time the third time you know mm-hmm. why not why come not? back to it right. and and bring a different question yeah, to it yeah, as, yeah. as you're reading it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I want to ask you a question that was originally raised by mm-hmm. my colleague Zachariah Mompili, a mm-hmm. political scientist at Vassar College. Okay. We're asking our guests to answer a question that Zachariah raised mm-hmm. in episode 24. Okay. So he has six questions, but I'd just like to ask you one. Okay. What are the best approaches to mm-hmm. understanding African political life, mm-hmm. and how is this determined? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a little bit question. Um, I think... The best approaches, you know, I think of it as a kind of, you know, one will come from an um, interdisciplinary approach to understanding African life, you know, because of the complexity of life on the continent. I don't think one particular way of seeing or one particular mode of knowledge is useful for apprehending life on the continent. So for me, in my work, for example, what I've tried to do, I don't know to what extent I'm successful, it's not just to draw on tools that I have as a literary scholar, the theoretical framework that I have, but also to think about, you know, the works in other disciplines in Africa. Mm. So what would the history of this play, of these places I'm writing about? What would their politics, you know, knowing the context really, how would it, how does it help me to understand the works I'm using? Mm-hmm. So so which means that, you know, the theoretical formations informing the work is also drawn from the lived practices of the kind of, of the places that I'm that, that I'm interested in. Um, so take for example, one of the things I engage in my work is this notion of animism and you know this believing you know that things have force, have life of their own. You know, in some ways we think of this as this is you know this is crap. This is, that doesn't make sense. It's just you know if you look at it from a kind of you know Western lens, we think. But but then when you try to shift and look at that, this is actually grounded in social practices in different parts of the continent. I think that leads to a rethink of that. So for me, the best work, the best way of approaching the continent is approaching it from this multiple heterogeneous way. Um, that takes cognizance of 
the politics, the history of um, the places we're thinking about. And for me as a literary scholar, it's to remind myself that I need to go outside the text a lot in order to understand the text. Great to, to explore the lived... <coughs> The, the, the lived realities the, and, these, mm-hmm. and these social practices. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because these writers, they're not writing in a vacuum. There's they're a not. social context. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, um, I just said, we said, you know, the wordliness of text, you know, that they live, this text, they live in a world, they're from a world. Um, so that I found very useful. Before we go, okay. we normally ask okay. our guests about books that they're reading, <sighs> either right now or recently <laughs> read. Okay. Um, do you have any book recommendations for our listeners? Okay. Um, so what I'm reading, what I'm reading right now, right now, I'm, you know, I do, I'm reading American War, which is this um, futuristic novel that is looking at you know, America within a second world war, uh, a second civil war context. And this time, you know, the South is succeeding because um, there is a prohibition on the use of fossil fuel in the country. But the South, you know, Texas needs their petrol. They need their, they need their oil, you know, oil and gas. They can't do without it. And they're trying to succeed from the Union. Because, and so this novel is set around the war that comes out as a result of that. Mm-hmm. I said it on the plane. I haven't gone far on it. But I find the idea interesting that the first world war, that, that the first civil war that happened in real life is based on black bodies, regardless of what we want to talk about. And then today, you know, the way that in this novel, then the black bodies are being replaced in this speculative future with oil. Oil is a thing that is leading to war. So I'm really interested in the question of energy, but the way that bodies are circulating, bodies and oil are really circulating there. I don't know what to make of it, but I find that interesting. And I want, I'm looking forward to finishing the book. Um, but more recently, too, I read um, Homegoing, uh, which is this novel by yeah, Gyasi. Yeah, you know, I really wish, you know, I, I really liked um, the novel. Um, I'm also reading um, Beauty Dreamers, a novel by this Cameroonian woman on the financial on the financial crisis of 2008, and its impact on this American executive and this Cameroonian bond driver in New York City. Um, so really, the, the interconnectedness of their lives in this you know in this novel have, you know, has been interesting to me, and I'm still I'm still walking through it. Um, in terms of criticism, for someone interested in this kind of work, I strongly recommend them to read Rob Nixon's Slow Violence, um, which is a book that was really formative for my for my work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And what's on my on my shelf next, I hope I want to get to, is Mbembe's yeah. recently translated book, A Critic of Black Reason. I'm hoping, you know... When I'm done grading in the next couple of weeks, <laughs> inshallah, inshallah, I will have time to look, you know, to look at that. So those are, you know, those are some books I've been engaging with lately. So when the first book that you recommended, mm-hmm. um, American War, this mm-hmm. futuristic novel mm-hmm. about a second civil war, mm-hmm. it's interesting when you. Um, when you juxtapose the first civil war, which mm-hmm. was about black bodies, mm-hmm. and this um, imagined second mm-hmm. civil war, well. which is about fossil fuels and about mm-hmm. oil, mm-hmm. it made me actually think about Larry Adunbi's book. Oh, um, right, right. Right, where he right. talks oh, about yeah. this, um, mm-hmm. this myth um, of, um, of wealth. Yes, right in, yes, in mm-hmm, the Niger Delta, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, how um, mm-hmm. there that one of those myths mm-hmm. is that um, of course, 
Of yeah. course there would be oil yeah. on the delta yeah. at the water yeah. because so many black bodies died in the transatlantic right, crossing. Right, right, and right. and that those black bodies that died in the Middle Passage mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm. come back as black as gold, gold, right? As this exactly. as this wealth. Exactly. And so yes. it's it's so interesting, interesting. when you make that the connection. connection. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. that that is really interesting because yeah, you know, you know, I didn't really know about that until I read it from you know Malade's you know book on his you know insurgents in the Delta. And actually I'd actually have a little bit um, line from that in my book, you know, from Laddie's book. So yeah. I'm glad that you brought it. Yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm sure there's something there, you know, I just need to think more. Yeah. Think more about think more about it. Yes. Well thank you for your time yeah, and for joining you. us on Ufahamu Africa. Thank you so much for having me. I, I enjoy talking to you. That's all for this week. Find us online and tell us what you're reading and learning about the continent. You can listen to Ufamu Africa on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or on our website, ufamuafrica.com. Find us on Twitter at Ufahamu Africa. Ufahamu Africa is a production of Smith College, sponsored by the Government Department and the Committee on Faculty Compensation and Development. Kawia Aruna, Class of 2021, is Ufahamu Africa's Research and Production Assistant. Technical assistance is provided by the Center for Media Production, and music is courtesy of Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening. Until next week, Safari Salama.